you're turning there. I want to come to a seemingly completely unrelated passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, it says, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again into my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Um, now, the passage I'm giving you there and what this message is about may be two different things, but if I can give you maybe just a little bit of a tack on here. Uh, the message this morning is on humility. But humility is kind of a tricky thing because usually when you think that you've got it, you don't. <laughs> um, humility is one of those things that um, we use it to, we use, uh, we use feigned humility. We fake humility. Uh, we use it to get out of things, especially where it concerns the Lord, um, especially when it concerns the call of God on a person's life. We'll fake our own humility and say, oh, no, God, I could not possibly. Uh, oh, God, you couldn't use somebody like me. Oh, God, I'm not gifted like that. Oh, God, I'm not talented like that. Uh, you'll find an example of that in the person of Moses whenever the Lord called Moses out of the burning bush and all of that. You'll remember what was Moses' response. Oh, God. You know, I, I, you know uh, I stutter and I stammer and, and, and I can't speak well, right? He looked for a way to get out of it. Now, granted, on the, on the outside, that would look like humility. Oh, God, I can't, you know, I'm just, you know, poor little old me. I've been 40 years on the backside of a desert and I don't speak well. Certainly, this isn't a job that you want me to do. But the Lord did want him to do. So what was, uh, what was it that Moses had? It was a feigned humility. It was an excuse. Now, why do I read what I read there in Philippians chapter 4? Is because as a pastor, I think that's maybe one of the greatest things that a pastor could wish as he opens the Bible and preaches to his group of people. He says, I desire fruit that may abound to your account. That whatever is said here this morning, it ought to be that there might be fruit to your account. Uh, I would desire to have fruit. I desire to have fruit in my own life. I desire to have fruit in my ministry. But the greatest thing that I can do as a pastor of a congregation is that I desire to have fruit of this ministry. I desire that there be fruit on your account. And sometimes what's really easy for a pastor to do is to say, well, okay, you know, and, and get real caught up. Pastors get, uh, oh, uh, burdened about much serving. I guess is the way that the phrase goes, become very Martha-ish in how they run the ministry and kind of run around and complain about all that it is that they have to do when the truth is is that they have so much to do because they won't delegate anything out to anybody else that anybody else may have fruit to their account. I desire for you that you have fruit. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, it lists six things that the Lord hates, and seven of them are said to be an abomination to Him. The first of, on that list, as many of you know, is a proud look. I preached not too long ago on the subject of pride. I think this is a good, um, I don't know if the phrase is antithesis to that, or, or just uh, the other side of that coin. The Lord hates pride. 
if I can at all explain why it is that the Lord hates pride, it's a little like this. If you ever were in school and you had a group project and you had somebody that was part of your group that didn't do any part of the project, right? But because you did such a great job on the project, ended up earning an A, right? And that maybe, maybe you were the person that was part of the project that didn't do any of the work. Maybe you were the person that did all of the work. But anybody have a group project like that? Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing is that whenever it comes to you and the Lord, the Lord did the whole project. You did none of the project. <laughs> so uh, pride is a little bit like puff, puffing up and saying, look at what great things I did. And the Lord's saying, you didn't do any of that. Look how great I am. Look how skilled I am. Oh, listen, I gave you your skill. I gave you your ability. I gave you your genetics. I put you in the home that you were born into. I gave you your circumstances. I gave you the ability to go out and get a job and earn a living. All that you have, you have because of I completed the project. Even the fact that, hey, listen, I can't even brag about the fact that I'm going home to heaven. I added nothing to the project other than just putting my name on it. Right? I just added my name to the project and the Lord said, okay, that's all you have to do. But listen, just make sure that you know and understand that I'm the one that completed the project. And, and so humility, all humility is, is just being right and honest about who it is that completed the project. The Lord Jesus Christ completed the project. I am where I am today because Jesus Christ completed the project. And He did a perfect job of it. The only credit I get is the fact that my name's on there, but all credit goes to Jesus Christ. That's the proper place of humility. Listen, you you don't have to, you know, be constantly walking around, you know, uh, lower than, you know, whale poop on the bottom of the ocean and oh, woe is me all the time. Listen, uh, proper humility is just admitting, uh, continually admitting that, listen, all glory and honor and praise, all that goes back to Jesus Christ. Amen? You know, uh, so, you know, I've had to learn that over the years and, you know, even uh, even in preaching a sermon, somebody will come back to the Bible, oh, it was a great sermon. You know what I've had to learn? I've had to learn how to say thank you and, and acknowledge that, listen, any great sermon came from the Lord. And so uh, I'm just going to say thank you on his behalf because it wasn't if there was anything good in it, it wasn't me anyway. Uh, but you can say thank you for some stuff and you don't have to be. Oh, no. Oh, no. It was, you know. <laughs> Well, listen, that's a fake humility. That's a, listen, I need to appear humble in front of somebody. And so that a lot of times humility, a fake humility is done in a way so that somebody thinks even more of you. Right? You, under, you understand what I mean by that? You know, listen, uh, I'll appear humble so that somebody thinks more of me. What is that? It's really just pride. You know, in fact, walking around and kind of having that excuse that the Lord couldn't ask me to do this or that because I have this hang up or that hang up really is just pride. It's pride in your own inability or your pride in your own, you know, whatever else it is. I couldn't be a Sunday school teacher. I don't, I, I don't know enough about the Bible. Well, listen, that's your own hang up. If the Lord's called you to go and preach a message, uh, if the Lord's called you to teach a Sunday school class, isn't the Lord better than your hang ups? So you must think a lot of your hang ups if that's what's keeping you from doing what it is that the Lord's called you to do. What is that? It's pride. So I, I thought it was humility. No, it's pride. Isn't it funny how those things get twisted around? You'll think that you're humble when you're actually full of pride about something. You're arrogant in your own inability. Don't you think God is bigger than your inability? Did God use Moses? In his stammering tongue and his stutter and all of that, it appears to me that God did a pretty good job with Moses. 
So what is that? Listen, humility a lot of times is saying, listen, the Lord is bigger and better than my imperfections. Because all of us have imperfections and flaws and things that we're not good at. I go, listen, I've got a laundry list of things I'm not good at. Uh, I can give you a long list of things that, uh, that, that I'm not good at. And listen, if you focus on everything it is that you can't do, you won't do very much. But if you say, God can, God can use me to do that, then listen, I can go on and do some stuff. My message isn't on pride, but it's rather a character trait that stands in opposition to it, and that's humility. But you can't talk about humility without talking about pride, and you really can't talk about pride without hitting on humility. And rather than looking through and seeing what the Bible has to say on this general topic, uh, we could spend time going through the book of Proverbs and all that stuff on seeing uh, humility and pride showed in contrast. I want to take some time this morning, uh, and if, um, if time becomes an issue tonight, we'll split it up and I'll preach the second half of it tonight, but I want to look at the life of one person, uh, and hopefully it'll be an example to you here this morning, and that's a person of Gideon. Uh, if you're here in Judges chapter 6, look in verse 11, Judges chapter 6. Verse 11, we'll go down through here and we'll uh, read from about verse 11 through 16 of Judges chapter 6. Uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 11, it says, There came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, uh, which was in Oprah, uh, that uh, pertained unto Joash, uh, the, the Abizrite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told of us, told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go, and this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor uh, in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, dear God, the Lord, I pray you be in this message here this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray you be in this place to help your people, God. Uh, Lord, not that uh, we might gain some greatness to ourselves, but Lord, because you are, uh, Lord, you are worthy. Uh, Lord, you are worthy of glory and honor and power. Uh, for you have uh, created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Lord, I pray that we get something out of this so we may better please you this week. These things I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So let me start by saying this, is that there's uh, uh, humility in being called. Uh, Gideon knew who he was. Gideon knew who he was. Now I spent a lot of time around teenagers. And uh, teenagers are an interesting lot because uh, they really don't know who they are. uh, But a lot of them uh, think a lot of themselves. Uh, You know, there's a... uh, Listen... There, there's one young man that I got to spend some time with. I mean, uh, he's, uh, gosh, maybe five and a half feet. I don't know how tall he was. But skinny, little, scrawny little thing. And I got to sit around with these seventh graders. And I got to ask them what they wanted to be whenever they grew up. Got a lot of, you know, uh, reasonable answers. But any guesses as to what this little white, you know, maybe 75-pound little nothing little boy. I mean, great kid, by the way. 
Any guesses as to what it is that he wanted to be, what he wants to be when he grows up? He's going to be an NFL football player. I'm just, all right, man, all right. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what you're going to be, what you're not going to be, but uh, okay, you know, just step back. But um, Gideon knew, knew who he was. You know, what does he say? He says, listen, uh, my, family's, my family's poor. You, you want me to go and fight the Midianites and do all this stuff? My family's poor. In fact, we're the least, and I'm the least of my house. But what's interesting in all the stuff that Gideon thinks about himself is that the Lord knows who Gideon is. What does the Lord say about Gideon? The Lord says some things about Gideon that Gideon doesn't say about himself. The very, one of the very first things the Lord says about Gideon is, says, Thou mighty man of valor. You know, sometimes the reason that you're not willing to do what it is that the Lord's called you to do is because you and the Lord have two very different perspectives on who you are. Sometimes there's a... a now listen, Gideon was those things. He was poor. He was the least of his house. He could not do what he needed to do without the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a good thing in that humility. He's not all puffed up and big chest and, yeah, I mean, it makes sense, Lord, that you would come to me. I mean, it's really, it's amazing to me that you waited so long to come to me to call me to fight the Midianites because of just how great I am, right? You know, just, I wonder what took you so long. I mean, there's nobody greater in Israel than me. I think the Lord chose Gideon because Gideon knew who he was. Gideon knew who he was. And so, but the Lord calls him a mighty man of valor not because of who Gideon is, but because of who the Lord is. And he knows what Gideon can be if Gideon will get on board with what it is that the Lord has called him to be. You'll see that throughout Scripture, the people that the Lord calls are not the same people that you and I would call. Uh, the Lord didn't try to correct Gideon. The Lord didn't say, oh, you're not that poor, and you're not that least. He doesn't spend any time debating Gideon about what Gideon thought of himself. Uh, the Lord didn't uh, tell him that he was anything different. Notice where the Lord found Gideon. I like this. The Lord found Gideon at work. He found him threshing wheat. If you notice when reading through your Bible, you'll Notice a trend of the types of men uh, that the Lord calls and uses. Over there in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1, and, uh, 1 through 4, do you know where and what Moses was doing when that burning bush showed up? Moses was out herding sheep. He was out at work. He was out doing just the, the regular normal things, the things that he had to do in order to put food on the table. The Bible says that if a man not, uh, doesn't work, he ought not to eat. The Bible says that if he doesn't work, he's worse than an infidel. The Lord finds working people doing normal working things. Not special people. Somehow we've gotten this idea that the Lord uses somebody that has a doctorate of theology from some seminary someplace. Oh, those are the people that the Lord calls. No, in my experience throughout the Bible, I don't find a, hardly a single person in there that had a theological doctorate. You know that the Lord can use you and it doesn't matter what your educational background is or what your working background is. The Lord can use you. And listen, you might be pretty humble about who you are and what you are and what your background is. That's fine. 
The Lord's not going to correct you about who it is that you are and what it is that you do, but you might be surprised that if you'd get on board with what it is that He's called you to do, that the next words that come after your name are mighty man or mighty woman of valor. But He finds him threshing. He finds Moses herding sheep. He finds others doing the same. He finds uh, uh, he uses David, uh, the least and the smallest of his brethren. Moses, <clears throat> sorry, Moses wasn't called when he was living in a palace and had all the power and influence and position that it could afford. Don't you think the Lord would call Moses when he still had some political uh, weight over there in the palace? I mean, he didn't get out of the palace till he was forty years old. Don't you think that'd be a pretty good position to have Moses in to call the nation of Israel out of Egypt? I mean, he could have pulled some political strings and he could have, you know, buttered some palms and done some stuff. Oh, I'm, the, I'm Pharaoh's son. Uh, let's, let's, get the, uh, let's get the Israelites out of here. Well, you know, we'll take it to the, you know, we'll take it on up to the Pharaoh and we'll bounce it off of him and, you know, we'll, we'll take it over and we'll get a committee together and see what the, uh, see what the impact is going to be. No! He doesn't use Moses when he's in the palace. He uses Moses when he's been on the backside of a desert for 40 years after his life has been all messed up from murdering a guy and hiding his body in the sand. And he's been herding sheep so long he doesn't even know how to speak good. Part of a joke, but... Thank you. He finds Moses in the process of tending some sheep. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 and 21, he calls Elisha. This is the person who picks up from Elijah. Elijah, you know what he was doing whenever Elijah came by and put his mantle on him and said, listen, you're going to be the new uh, prophet in Israel? He was plowing a field. He had 12 yoke of oxen and he puts his mantle on him and he says, come with me. Finds him at work. I think the, the Lord likes and appreciates men that have an affinity for just doing the regular things, the normal things. Maybe some of the things that they don't enjoy doing, but they're the right things to do. Because I'll tell you what, serving the Lord is not glamorous. Uh, most people aren't going to see most of what you're doing when you're serving the Lord. Uh, I don't know how many of you have been out plowing a field. You know what? Most people don't see you do it. Right? I, I don't know if you've ever been out plowing a field or tending a garden or you know, uh, uh, checking cows or anything like that. Have you, uh, have you ever seen a set of bleachers on the edge of a field? So you've never seen anybody, you know, wearing your team colors, you know, half is green and half is yellow and, you know, rah, rah, you know, as you go. No. No, but you, you don't, you know, you, you've never been, you know, kind of turning the corner at the edge of that field and saw everybody holding up signs. Yay, Rick! Plow that field! No? And you know what? Most of the time when you're out serving Christ, you won't find that either. You don't find a set of bleachers where everybody cheers you on while you read your Bible. You won't find a, a group gathering and you know, sitting there watching intently, you know, in hushed tones, as you lay on your face praying. 
you won't find everybody ready to lift you up on their shoulders after you pass out a gospel track. There's no cheering section most of the time in the Christian life. I think that's why the Lord takes people that are already doing things that most people don't appreciate while they're doing them. Because you know what? Really, most people don't appreciate the farmer in the field until after he's harvested and they're looking for something to eat. Right? Most of what you do in the Christian life is not going to be fully appreciated until you're harvested. So the Lord finds people that humbly go to work. Because if you're willing to go to work when nobody's there to cheer for you, then you have a pretty good shot of being able to make it as a Christian where most people are not going to cheer for you. In Amos chapter 7, verse 14 and 15, Amos wasn't a prophet or a hired minister, and it wasn't a relation. He wasn't the descendant of preachers and prophets. In fact, he says, I wasn't a prophet or the son of a prophet. He gets up and he preaches to some folks and they don't like what he has to say. <laughs> so listen, I wasn't a prophet or the son of a prophet. I didn't ask to be here. He said, I was just a picker of sycamore fruit who came here to tell you what God told me to tell you. So you know what? It doesn't matter that you don't like what it is that I have to say. I didn't, this is not some hand-me-down job from daddy. I like what one preacher said. He said, uh, he said, there's a lot of young people out there that aren't called to preach. Their mama called them to preach. Mama wanted them to be a preacher. <laughs> well, listen, my parents didn't ask, didn't call me into the ministry. My dad, I'm, you know, uh, I was a son of a truck driver. That almost sounds like a curse. <laughs> Amos wasn't a prophet. He's just a man who had some herds and some fruit trees. And he was faithful and humble to do what was asked. We've looked before at the men that Jesus called, tax collectors, fishermen, mostly, and each of them, whenever Jesus Christ called them, they were on the job. Some of you, the Lord will come by when you least expect, but it'll be when you're on the job. It'll be when you are faithful and dedicated in what it is that you're doing, and you think, well, I'm nobody from nowhere. Great, perfect. The Lord loves nobody better than nobody from nowhere. And listen, you're pretty well dead center in the middle of nowhere, so you've already got half that figured out, right? You understand you're from nowhere, right? Now all you have to figure out is that you're nobody. And you're halfway there for the Lord calling you to do something great. You say, oh, listen, you know, what are you talking about? The mission field, Sunday school teacher, pastor, preacher, missionary? No, I don't know what it'll be. The Lord's called you, though. The Lord's got a call for it. It may not have some you know, fancy position title or, or anything like that. It may not be some paid position at all. The Lord may call you to go across the street. The Lord may call you to pray for somebody. The Lord may just call you just to be a more dedicated Christian. The Lord may just call you to set aside some time to read in that book. But the Lord's calling you and drawing you unto Himself. Uh, let's come back here to Judges chapter 6 and look in verse 22. It says in verse 22 of Judges chapter 6, it says, And when Gideon perceived that he, was an, uh, that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, and the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it uh, Jehovah Shalom unto this day. Uh, it is yet uh, in Ophrah. 
uh, of the Abizrites. And it came to pass the same night uh, that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal and thy father, uh, uh, that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of his rock, uh, in the ordered place, and take the second bullock, and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood and the grove which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants, and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household, and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. Uh, and when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, Who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon the son of Joash hath done this thing. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son, that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. Uh, and Joash uh, said unto uh, all that stood against him, Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death whilst it is yet morning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. Therefore on that day he called him Jerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he hath thrown down his, uh, his altar. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. I'd say that uh, Gideon humbly served. Gideon was obviously not chosen because he was a brave or bold man. Right? I mean, if he was this, this arrogant monster of a man, he would have torn down that altar of Baal in the daylight where everybody could see it, right? But it says that he was afraid of the people. But I want you to see he humbly served. Uh, you could be critical of Gideon for not doing what the Lord told him to do in the daylight for all to see. And you could be critical of, uh, of him for not stepping forward to tell everyone it was him who did it. But what you can't be critical of is the fact that he did what the Lord told him to do fully and full, of, uh, full aware of the risks. Listen, that service that he did was really no small thing when you think about just the grunt work involved. Uh, those altars that were built up, those were altars of stone. Um, I don't know how they plastered them together. I don't know if they you know, had some sort of uh, plaster, concrete, whatever, but I, it was a sure structure that was in that altar there, and he had to tear that thing down. I imagine that's no small feat to tear down uh, a big old altar like that, especially an altar for Baal, right? That's not some lesser god. That's the devil himself. I bet that was a sizable altar that had to be torn down. And then after that, he says, now I want you to cut down the grove. No, this grove isn't one tree. That's a whole bunch of trees. In a night, he had to go about uh, tearing down something that's equivalent to a concrete patio, busting that thing up, uh, cutting down a grove of trees, and then building up another altar uh, unto the Lord his God, and then getting a bullock, and then offering that on the altar, not once, but twice. Listen, if you've ever been around somebody who's butchered large animals, that's a job in and of itself, and he got this thing done in a night. When you start thinking about the actual process of everything that took place for Gideon to get this thing done, Gideon put in the work. 
Listen, serving the Lord, yeah, there are braver ways to do it. Yeah, there are more open ways to do it. Can I tell you this? That Listen, you want to, if you're somebody who's bold, then go out and go street preaching. If you're somebody who's timid, leave a gospel tract at your, uh, for your waitress. But is the job done either way? Okay, then. Paul said this. He's uh, had a bunch of people you know, upset about some, some other people that were given the gospel and weren't given it like Paul gave it and this, that, and the other thing. And Paul said, whether in pretense or in truth, however the gospel is given, I will rejoice and therein rejoice. So does it really matter? Yeah, I mean, you, you could say he was a coward. Okay, but he was a coward that did what God told him to do, didn't he? Did the Lord Now, listen, if the Lord had said, I want you to do this in the daylight where everybody could see it, he would have been disobedient, right? Did the Lord tell him he had to do it in the daylight? Did he obey what the Lord told him to do? Even though it was tough and it was a lot of hard work, he could have found a reason to not do it, right? He could have found excuses. He could have said, well, listen, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't even have a saw, Lord. I don't even know where I'm going to get the equipment to do what it is that you want me to do. And uh, listen, I don't, I've got to come up with... Uh, there's a lot of ways to make excuses. Listen, I do it all the time. Caitlin, give me some big job to do. And listen, I don't have the tools for that job. I don't have the know-how for that job. Uh, listen, I'm going to have to hire somebody to do that job. Uh, listen, this is going to turn into a great big old deal. Uh, I just, let's just leave that alone. Right? Haven't you gotten some honey-do list that you didn't want to do and you came up with about 15 different reasons on why it didn't need to be done in the first place? Don't you know Christians do that to the Lord all the time? The Lord's called you to, listen, this is what I want you to do. And you give the Lord about 10, 15 different reasons on why you can't do it and why he ought to get somebody better over here to do it. Listen, I'll tell you this. I grew up in this church. I was in the youth group of this church. And I can name you probably 10 names of guys that were more well-spoken, knew their Bible better, had a better prayer life than, than me. And I ask myself on the regular, Lord, why didn't you use them? And uh, I went, ended up going into Bible school, and I was in a pretty good class of, of Bible school students. I wouldn't put myself anywhere near the top of the, of the preachers in my class, anywhere near it. I could name for you 15 other guys that could do a better job preaching, teaching, praying, and being a better example than I can think of me. I know of only two other guys in my class that are pastoring churches. Now, does it mean that all of those guys were called to be a pastor? Or called, there's a lot of them that went off to the mission field and all those types of things. All I can say is this, is that, listen, you can't look around at what everything else that's going against you is. And if you just do this one thing, just be willing. And you'll find that if you just are consistently willing to do what it is that the Lord is calling, you'll find yourself in the minority serving more often than not. This was not just some public altar placed there by some patron of the city. This was his father's altar to Baal. This is a family issue. Gideon broke ties with his family to follow the Lord. I don't know, but I imagine the Lord knew that about Gideon when he called him earlier in the chapter. 
there's a part of me that, that very strongly believes that what the Lord had to say about Gideon calling him a mighty man of valor had nothing to do with his muscle mass or ability with a sword, but his willingness to tear down an altar his father had built. And very often, that's the kind of man the Lord is looking for. That's the kind of woman the Lord is looking for and looking to use. A, a, a humble person, a working person, a loyal person to himself. Abraham left his country to go where the Lord would lead him and was willing to sacrifice his own son just to stay in the will of God. I find continually throughout the Bible that the Lord looks for people that think more of the Lord than they think of their own family. It's not that they don't think of their family. It's not that they don't love their family, but they love the Lord more. Elijah most certainly left uh, his family behind along with that plow and sacrifice of those oxen. Paul left everything. He held firm in that Jewish faith to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, even though it hurt him to know in, to know that he was the apostle to the Gentiles and not to the Jews. Jonathan gave up the throne. Jonathan, Saul's son, gave up the throne that was rightfully his, at least uh, legally, to be loyal to God's man and give his throne to David, thus severing his relationship with his own father, Saul. As you look through the Bible, you see trends. And one trend is that the Lord wants to find somebody loyal enough to himself to break off ties with anything and anyone that would threaten that loyalty. See, the Lord is a jealous God. Do you know what the Lord wants? He wants you, insert name, full name, Social security number. I mean you. The Lord wants you all to Himself. Our problem is is that we don't want Him all to ourselves. But boy, when you both get on board and you understand that He wants you, and you figure out that you want Him, I am telling you there is not a force on either side of eternity that is stronger than that. It is that that makes a person, a man or woman, a person of valor. In Luke chapter 9, verses 61 through 62, it says, And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking bad at back is fit for the kingdom of God. I want you all to myself. I want your undivided attention. Sometimes the calling and the service of the Lord is inconvenient, but it's always worthwhile. You know what happens with Elijah after he leaves the plow and he sacrifices the oxen and he says goodbye to mom and dad and goes with Elijah? His deeds outdo even the deeds of Elijah. Elijah goes on to raise people from the dead. I mean, Elijah goes on to do just unbelievable things. You know what? I mean, uh, Jonathan, the friend, of, uh, the friend of David, although not credited with, with, with a lot, but listen, I can tell you, there's a story of Jonathan that outdoes just about anything in terms of just bravery and courage in the person of Jonathan. 
Moses being willing to go and leave everything for, for him. Gideon here. You're going to find that God does more with Gideon after the Lord calls Gideon than what Gideon was ever going to do before. Because, listen, listen, there's nothing wrong with threshing a field. But you're not reading about Gideon, the great thresher of wheat. You're reading about Gideon because he left the threshing of wheat to do what it is that the Lord called him to do. I do wonder, I often really do wonder, how many great preachers, how many great missionaries, how many great evangelists we've missed out on because they just weren't willing to go. I know Gladys Alward said this. She was a great missionary to the country of China in the early days of World War II and beyond. Her later years, she said this. She said, she said, I don't know what happened to the man that God called to China. I don't know if he got sick. I don't know if he died. I don't know if he just wasn't willing to go. But I know that the Lord called some man to China and he didn't wind up there and that's why the Lord sent me. That's some humility on Gladys Alward's part. There's humility in serving. Because you know what? Whenever you're humbly serving the Lord, you know somebody could do it probably better than you could. But that doesn't change the fact that the Lord puts you there to do it. Finally this morning, for this morning, I'll pick up the rest of it tonight. I want to look and pick it up in verse 34. Judges chapter 6, verse 34. It says, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abizar was gathered after him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, uh, who also was gathered after him, and he sent messengers unto Asher, and unto Zebulun, and unto Naphtali. And they came to meet them, and Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand... As thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool uh, in the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry on all the earth besides, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. And it was so, for he rose up early in the morning, and thrust the fleece together, and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, I'll speak but this once, let me prove, I pray thee, But this once with the fleece, let it now be dry only upon the fleece. And upon all the ground, let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only. And there was dew on all the ground. If you notice, there's nothing that Gideon has done yet that has been of his own will or inclination. Gideon doesn't think to himself, maybe the Lord meant for me to do this. And run off to accomplish his own plan. There's nothing where, the, where Gideon says, you know what, I've got a good idea. I'm going to go, and I'm going to go fight the Midianites over here. You never find an instance uh, in this, all this time with Gideon where Gideon gets a thought to himself and says, I'm going to go do this. Listen, that happens with a lot of other folks. Uh, you, look at, uh, you look at the King Saul. Saul was doing real good until he decided, you know what, I think I'd like to be the priest. 
And I think I'd like to offer an offering if Samuel's not going to show up. I think I'll do that. You know, there's plenty of times where uh, David messes up. David says, you know what? I think I'm just going to stay home from the fight. You know, there's been a lot of fight going on in a time whenever kings go forth to battle. I think I'm going to stay home. And he winds up in a situation with Bathsheba and Uriah and, and all of that mess. You'll find instance after instance after instance in the Bible where somebody messes up because they got an inkling to themselves. One of the greatest kings that Israel ever had was a man by the name of Josiah. I mean, Josiah's prophesied about 400 years before he ever shows up. And Josiah comes up and he, he reads, uh, finds the, the word of the law in a dusty old room someplace and he gets to read that and he says, listen, the rest of the people need to hear this. Has a guy stand out, uh, stand out there and they read the, the law to everybody. Everybody gets right. There's great big revival in Israel. Josiah is one of the greatest kings and one of the youngest kings Israel ever had. Great. Great deal. You know how Josiah dies? By getting in a fight he was never supposed to be in. He goes out to fight Egypt. The king of Egypt says, listen, I, I don't have any quarrel with you. Uh, you don't need to come out here to fight. Josiah goes out and he gets in a fight that God never told him to get involved in and gets himself killed. You know what you don't find in all the stuff about Gideon? You say, man, that guy's a coward. You know, listen, it would be good for a lot of Christians to have just a little bit of cowardice in them. You say, what, what are you talking about? I thought we were supposed to be bold. No, listen, hear what I mean to say. A lot of us are so bold that we can think, we get this idea that I'm going to do this or that and maybe God will bless it. Instead of being so afraid of getting outside of the will of God that we pray about everything before we go and do it. God, listen, I don't want to step outside the door and go do this or that if you're not involved. Lord, tell me what to do. Listen, I think it'd be good to be so afraid of God and being outside of the will of God that to the rest of the world they, thought, they think you're a coward because you want to stay where God wants you to be and go where God wants you to go. When Gideon acts, it's the Lord literally having to push him forward. Would you just go, Gideon? I've called... Well, listen... Uh, I, I'm not, I want to be 100% sure that you're calling me to go. So I'm going to get this fleece. And, and if you really want me to go, um, it'll be wet and everything else will be dry. Okay, all right, that looks pretty good. That looks, it's wet. Everything else is dry. But you know what? Sometimes you know, I go outside after it's rained and the, the sidewalk's already dry and some other stuff is wet. And I just want to make sure you know, that this isn't... I, I forgot that sometimes that just naturally happens. Okay, all right, God... I want everything else to be wet, and I want that fleece to be dry. That'll be it. The Lord says, okay. You know, the Lord doesn't argue with him about any of that. The Lord doesn't say, oh, faithless Gideon. Oh, coward Gideon. The Lord doesn't rake Gideon over the coals about it. Because listen, if you are sincerely wanting to know what it is that God wants you to do, one of the greatest things that you can pray is, God, I want to be in your will. Would you make your will plain to me? Would you make it clear to me so that I don't mess up? It, listen, if you make your life about wanting and desiring to stay in the center of God's will, God will obligate himself to make his will clear to you. It doesn't have to be some ambiguous mess. 
where you find out after, well, I guess that wasn't really the will of God. I guess, I st- I guess that was just something I wanted to do. We are so quick to go do the next thing that we often imagine that God's going to take so long to tell me that by the time He does tell me, it's to- too late to go and do the thing. God can answer quick. He doesn't always answer quick, but He can. God can make His will clear to you. He can make His will clear to you through circumstances. He can make His will clear to you through your Bible reading, through preaching, through open doors and shut doors. The Lord can make His will real plain. I've had an instance where the Lord had to just kick my butt to move me forward. And I'll tell you, it didn't feel good, but man, I was glad to know that whenever I did move, I was moving out of where God didn't want me into where God did want me. It'd be good for us to be a little more cautious and a little more prayerful in how we take our steps. When, it, when Gideon acts, it's the Lord pushing him forward. Gideon doesn't blow a trumpet or send messengers to gather men until the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And even after that, he waits for the Lord to fulfill two small miracles before taking another step. Self-will will get you in trouble. When you will yourself forward, you will oftentimes will yourself out of the will of God. Saul lost the hand of God on his life when he decided it would be better to save some of the sheep and some of the oxen from a battle that the Lord had commanded to kill everything. Well, I just, I just you know, the Lord said, go in. I think it was the, the Agagites. Go in, kill everything. Kill all the animals, kill all the people. I want it all dead. Samuel finally shows up. He says, what's the bleeding of the sheep I hear? Well, we were going to offer sacrifices to the Lord. You know what Samuel says? To obey is better than sacrifice. Because that's kind of our mindset, right? When we get caught not obeying. You know, I've got little kids in the house. And we have a snack drawer that they can get into. But we'll tell them, listen, listen, we're going to have dinner here in a little bit. No snack drawer. Enoch still doesn't understand no snack drawer. But he does understand, but I got it for us to share. (laughs) Thinking, I get one over on you. Doesn't that sound exactly like Saul? Oh, I know I wasn't obedient, but I was getting it for you. (laughs) A story I heard one time about a little boy who got up and got a cookie that he wasn't supposed to get. Didn't I tell you not to get a cookie? Yeah, but I got it for you, Dad. He said, I don't want a cookie. Then can I have it? (laughs) Isn't that how we are with the Lord? Gideon is humble in how he led. I for sure think that there was a part of Gideon that knew that he was leading people, some that would die. 
And I would rather ask God for two small miracles than to put anybody in danger. I would rather ask God to fulfill two small miracles than to lead my family outside the will of God. Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, was punished with leprosy, which is a picture of sin, when he disobeyed the man of God and went after Naaman to receive and to get some clothes and money for the service of cleansing that man's sin. Well, it makes sense. I mean, he wanted me to have the clothes and the stuff anyway. See, that's where we get into trouble is when we think, well, we'll start to justify it and we'll make sense out of our disobedience. Gideon would rather ask God for two small miracles than to be disobedient to God. You say, he's not very faithful. He's, he's kind of a, a cowardly, weak little man. But you know what? In all the stuff that I read, I don't find one time where God calls him a coward or calls him weak. I found on multiple occasions where he called him a man of valor. Gideon is strong in ways that we no longer accept or celebrate strength. Balaam was a man who knew God face to face until his name became synonymous with the devil worship when he tried to curse the children of Israel after the Lord told him not to. And he did it with the desire to get unbelievably wealthy. How often have you ever had that thought, oh man, that lotto is up to about a billion dollars. Think of how much I could give to the church and to God if, if I just got the right number. unbelievably wealthy. Boy, I don't know about you, but the Lord, uh, you could get certainly pretty off in the weeds with what the world calls wealthy. Josiah, who as I mentioned before, was one of the greatest kings Israel ever had, was killed before his time, going out to a battle he was never supposed to be a part of. Solomon died a bitter man because he let his heathen wives turn to his heart from God. Do you see the pattern? You may think God uh, may think Gideon is just a weak excuse of a man. But you have to see that he's right in doing what he's doing. Gideon doesn't want to make one single move here without knowing it's exactly what the Lord wants. What's a God that we prayed and went about our days with that mindset? God, let me know what you want so that I may humbly lead my family because I can do nothing right on my own. That humbly serving, Lord, I am not the most equipped person for the job, but you've given me the job to do. Lord, give me the strength and the know-how to do it. They may call me a coward for doing it this way or that way, but Lord, I will not be disobedient. I may not do it the bravest way, but I'm still going to do it. And being humbly called. Knowing who it is and knowing what you are. But being obedient to do what the Lord's called you to do anyway. The Lord gives 
certain people in the Bible titles. He calls David a man after his own heart. Moses a man who knew God face to face. I'll stay up here. Even Aaron gets a title. I wonder if we get to heaven and we find out what the Lord really thinks of us. Because just being a, a man, reading Gideon as a man, you find in him some things not so desirable. But as a Christian, I look at Gideon and I see a lot to be an example. We could do a little bit uh, better to look less at the people that the world promotes and celebrates and look a little closer at Gideon and his humility. For the sake of time, I'll end it there, but I'll tell you that there's a second half to this sermon, and you'll hear it tonight. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, Lord, I pray you be in this church here this morning. God, be with your people. Uh, Lord, I pray that we learn a little bit about true humility, God. Lord, and the people that you choose to use and how you use them. Um, Lord, I pray that we not uh, have a fake humility, God, a, a humility that really just seeks to get out of things, to shirk responsibility, to make excuses. But, Lord, a humility that's usable, a humility that's admirable, a humility that's productive, a humility that clings to you and says, God, Lord, be clear in your will. Lord, uh, we as a church, Lord, we need, to, we need to know what it is that you want us to do. Lord, I pray for each and every person here this morning, God, that you make your will for their lives clear and plain. These things I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.